Welcome to the perfume room. My scent of the day today is Rotano from Maison Detto. And Rotano is a goddamn masterpiece from Carlos Benaim. Now, you all know that I had the founder, Brianna, on the podcast a few weeks ago. And obviously, we discussed her fragrances, but we were hearing from Brianna. So I didn't launch too deep into my own personal thoughts. So let me do that right now. When I tell you that this brand is easily one of my favorites I have ever encountered, and it is because every single scent in the collection is a hit. None feel like an afterthought. They are all so intentional and thoughtful, and they all have signature scent qualities. As in, if you were like, I'm going to buy one perfume in 2024, and I'm going to wear that perfume every day, I would easily recommend a Maison Detto scent. So let's get back to the one that I am wearing today. Rotano, which if you remember in that episode, is the one with a stallion accord, an actual horse note molecule in the fragrance. And it is also the one that Brianna said was the least popular seller, but had the most diehard fans. And I get why, okay? Rotano is certainly not for everyone, but if it is for you, you ride for Rotano. And you know what? I ride for Rotano. Here's my analogy for this fragrance. So I'm thinking back to the time that someone once asked me about dupe brands, brands like Oil Perfumery or Alt versus how they compare to the fragrances that they are duping. And what I said was, if one person is wearing the dupe fragrance and the other person is wearing the original and they both walk by you quickly, the sillage might seem similar. But if you stop and actually smell both of these fragrances on someone's skin, the dupe one will always feel compressed. It feels like a zip file of all of the beautiful nuances that you'll get in the original. Because to me, a well-crafted fragrance should perform like a musical ensemble. The notes, like instruments, work together to create harmony, but you can close your eyes and listen for each specific instrument and still hear it. And in dupes, you might recognize the song or the orchestration, but what I find is it feels like you're just hearing one singular instrument. Now, I bring up this analogy because Rotano to me is a perfect example of a fragrance where the final harmonious smell is a direct result of every single instrument, or in this case, being able to smell every single note. I posted about this fragrance briefly on Instagram, I think like a week or two ago, and I described it as smelling like a life review, like you bottled all the key milestones in your life into one juice. There's this like animalic, slightly barnyardy, but like elegant suede-like horse note. There's this mossiness, there's a muskiness, a warmth, something sweet, something melancholy. Yeah, it feels like I said, like you're watching your whole life in review, flash before your eyes. I can't explain it. You have to smell it for yourself and you must smell it on skin because it's wonderful. And since I didn't really give full reviews of Maison Detto, I will share some of the others that I have been wearing a lot these last few weeks. And again, to be clear, I love all six scents in this collection, but these are the four that I've been wearing the most. So Rotano, you just heard. You know about the other one I've been wearing a lot as it's the first one from this line that I ever fell in love with, which is Noisette. And Noisette is like a perfect sort of like nuzzle in your lover's neck, musky oris with a beautiful aromatic lavender nuance which you should know when I say that means a lot because I famously dislike lavender perfumes. And in fact, I can count on one hand the exceptions to this rule. Now, the reason that I feel this way about lavender is because I'm not a fan of the lavender solar floor. And outside of Fougere's, I find that most scents with lavender notes come across, whether intentionally or not, 
as lavender soliflores, which is to say you really only smell lavender. But in noisette, the lavender just adds that perfect sort of bounce and sparkle to an otherwise, as I said, like sheer, musky, white amber orris. It's beautiful. Okay, next, Canaan, which as I'm saying this, I'm questioning if I'm pronouncing it right because I feel like it might be Canaan. Either way, this fragrance is one of the best tuberoses I have ever smelled with the most beautiful sillage. It's perfectly spicy and aromatic and simultaneously this full-bodied, heady floral tuberose. It feels like it pays its dues to blockbuster tuberoses of the past while still veering in a totally new direction. Perhaps your mother wore Fraca or Giorgio. Maybe you grew up wearing Alien. And while tuberose is a note that feels like home, maybe none of these aforementioned scents feel quite right. If you want something that feels familiar in that way, but goes in an entirely new direction, try this perfume. Yes, it feels round and fruity, but it also feels jagged and mysterious. A little bit of dirt, some soil, some spice, some moss. It feels maternal and warm and luxurious, but also intriguing and mystical. I feel like for people who want that cool, rich aunt energy, it is this. Okay, and the last one I want to discuss today is Macanudo, which is an earthy, nutty, warm, sweet, vetiver hay soil smell with this unique solar, slightly soapy even, like buoyant citrus narrowly top. And it's this dichotomy of these notes that makes this fragrance so unique and special for me. It's reminiscent of that naturally earthy sweetness that you might smell in like early October. Maybe it rained in the morning, but it dried up and the sun came out and now it's like golden hour, like 4 p.m., 5 p.m. The sun is shining, it's warm and golden. You can still sort of get hints of that damp soil from the morning, but it's contrasted against like dry, warm leaves with maybe some sweet florals and citrus blooming nearby. It's that specifically rare sweetness that sometimes fills your nose on an afternoon hike under the canopy of fall foliage. It is perfect. Let's get to our guest today. She is someone who is doing something never done before in the fragrance industry. Today, we are joined by Future Society founder, Jasmina Aganovic. An MIT graduate with a degree in chemical and biological engineering, Jasmina has taken her science background and applied it to the world of beauty, and particularly fragrance, with her newest venture, a perfume brand, as I mentioned, called Future Society. Likely, you've seen videos or ads or articles even about this new fragrance brand because what they're doing is unprecedented. And you'll hear much more about it, and much more eloquently, I might add, in my conversation with Jasmina, but let me sum up my understanding for you. Future Society uses biology, specifically DNA sequencing, to uncover scent molecules from now extinct flowers. Then, using chemistry, they reconstitute these molecules and use methods like gas chromatography to extract and extrapolate what said flowers might have actually smelled like. And then, using the art of perfumery, they work with esteemed perfumers like Jérôme Epinette, Daniela Andrea, and Olivia Jan to interpret and translate said smells into modern artistic perfumes. Now, when you smell these perfumes, or I guess I should specify rather, when I smell these perfumes, I don't necessarily smell something that smells extinct or I guess you could say unfamiliar or otherworldly. But as you'll hear in our conversation, I don't think that that's quite the intention. And that is what I sought to learn about today, the intention. And of course, the process behind Future Society, which is an absolutely fascinating one. Here to share more is Jasmina Aganovic. Jasmina, welcome to the Perfume Room. How are you doing today? I'm doing so good. Thanks for having me. 
I'm so excited to be chatting with you. What fragrance are you wearing today? Today, I am wearing Solar Canopy uh, by Future Society, which we're going to be talking about. (laughs) Can you give us a little teaser? Of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, So it is a juicy, fruity, really bright fragrance. And I decided to wear it today because it is so gloomy here in Boston. And it is just like a bottle of sunshine is really what it feels like. It just instantly puts me in such a great and bright mood. Um, So that was definitely the one that I reached for today. Beautiful. Love it. And would you say, is that sort of like a signature scent profile for you? Maybe more of like those solar notes or what is the closest thing you have to a signature scent? Ooh, I tend to actually gravitate towards um, like spicier fragrances with a little bit of like woodsy notes. Um, Those are like my go-to everyday ones. I also can gravitate towards something that's a little bit more citrusy. So that's a little bit more of like my my genre. Um, But when I like really need a feel-good thing, like I love the fruity, juicy stuff. But that's like a, a little bit less often, I guess. Okay. On occasion, do you have a fragrance hot take or controversial opinion? Uh, Ooh, yes. I was ready for this question. Um, So uh, controversial opinion, and I learned it pretty late in my career, is the whole like rubbing wrists thing um, around fragrances. So I know that it like messes with top notes, but um, I don't know, the geek in me like just feels like it's really wasteful if you have like a large spray. So I'm always trying to put like baby sprays on my wrists so that I'm not like, I don't know, using too much fragrance so that I know is is controversial a little bit. So I still like sometimes rub uh, my wrists, but I really try not to if I can get those baby sprays in. Maybe I'm incorrect here, but if I have, if like my arm is like wet with fragrance, I also will just sort of dab. Lightly, lightly dab. So yeah. I approve this message. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> and I, I think it's a great segue as you're talking about, like you were saying, like my geeky background like wants to do that. What is your background? Because you have a very interesting one. Oh my gosh. Okay. So my background is not really in the world of fragrance. So I will just like really share that the world of fragrance has been so fascinating for me to learn about and immerse myself into. And uh, it's actually also been kind of intimidating for me if I'm not, uh, uh, if, if I could just like be honest. Um, but my background is from a very different world. Uh, I'm a scientist by training. I went to MIT. I studied chemical and biological engineering. And I went right into the beauty industry, which is the industry that I've always loved and enjoyed. And my career has really focused on how innovation is translated through brands and products. So that's been something that I've um, started a few companies around and have really focused on. And what we're doing here with Future Society is um, is an example of that. So uh, Future Society was my first like foray into fragrance, obviously from like the innovation angle um, as well. So it's been a really fascinating journey for the last several years. Were you a perfume wearer prior to Future Society? Um, I had a strong appreciation for fragrance for sure um, because I worked at um, a company called uh, Fresh. So you all might know the skincare brand um, uh, called Fresh. They actually were based in Boston uh, for a period of time, and that was when I worked with them. And one of the most memorable parts of my time there was watching their founder, Lev, 
um, evaluate fragrances. And every now and then he would like pull me into uh, his like evaluation process and he would have me smell a few different iterations of what I really thought smelled exactly the same, but it was just amazing watching him work and pick up on all the differences um, as he would, as he would dip the fragrances. So um, this is all to say that like much of my experience and delving into and the fragrances that I've most bought in my life are actually the ones from Fresh, um, just because they've really shaped a lot of like my perspective around fragrance making and my appreciation um, of it. Lev and Alina were actually uh, past guests of the podcast and Lev is really, the way he talks about fragrance is really a special, a special thing. So I'm sure watching it firsthand was really fun for you. It was really amazing. Yeah. So you have this background in biology, chemistry, you went to MIT, and I know you said you immediately went into the beauty sector. What gave you the idea specifically for Future Society? And what is Future Society? (laughs) Yeah. Well, one thing I want to like put out there into the universe, because I felt like this gave me a lot of angst in my career, is that twisty turny paths are like super normal in people's careers. And I just want to put that out there because throughout my career, I always felt lost in a weird way because like, I didn't know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I just was sort of following these different things that were of interest to me. Uh, And so it's really funny to me when people are like, oh my God, like you've had this like really interesting career. It makes so much sense. Like you must have like known you were going in this direction the whole time. And I totally, totally did not. So, you know, I think the, uh, the, the idea here that I just wanted to uh, kind of land this is that the idea for future society and these fragrances were something that came through accumulated experience and perspectives, uh, which happens when you have a twisty, turny path. Um, So I'll start by uh, talking about Future Society first. So Future Society is um, a fine fragrance brand. Uh, The tagline is, we can invent our tomorrow. And we are focused on using biology to tell imaginative stories through our products that make us reclaim possibility again. and are uniquely possible through innovation, um, in this case, um, biology. And so the line of fine fragrances that we launched are based off of six flowers that are now extinct. Um, So they're not flowers of this time. Uh, But we have been able to kind of reinterpret their scent um, thanks to DNA sequencing, of all things. So they're sort of like Jurassic Park, but less scary, if, if that makes sense. So it's interesting because it comes up in fragrance often, this idea of synthetic molecules versus natural molecules. But based on DNA sequencing, it seems like you're bringing a third category to this conversation of sort of like bioengineered molecules. Would you say that is it its own category of what you're doing? Yeah, I think the bioengineered molecules is certainly going to be a third category that will be added to the palette that perfumers are working with. So natural is like, you know, just just for those that maybe haven't thought about this before, but like natural is like literally like squeezing it out of a plant, for example. Um, So coming from something like biomass, uh, synthetic is something that's like starting with a petrochemical and you convert it into the material that you want. Um, And then bioengineered is like using microbes to make things. Um, So it is technically not extracted from a 
plant or something, um, but it is technically identical to maybe what had happened in nature, but it's created through a natural synthetic process, if that makes sense. So it's a little bit confusing there, but um, nonetheless, I think they are all great options depending on what you want to accomplish. Okay. So bioengineered is this third category made yes. using, what What was the word that you said? Made using? Fermentation or microbes to make these microbes. compounds. Yeah. That's the key word. My, okay. You can tell I did not go to MIT and study biology <laughs> and chemistry. I'm learning as we are talking about this. Okay. So, so you were talking about the six different plant species or the six different extinct flowers that you were able to, I guess, reconstitute through bioengineered molecules. What was that extraction and resurrection process? And how did you pick these specific six flowers to focus on for your fragrance line? Yeah. The story is a really interesting one. It goes back probably about 10 years uh, at this point. And I definitely can't lay claim to like having been part of that entire journey. So I'll, I'll tell it from the beginning and I'll, I'll share kind of my, my role in, in bringing it to life. So, um, you know, prior to starting Future Society, I, speaking of twisty turny paths, I worked at a biotech company uh, because I was fascinated with biology and I wanted to like learn about all of the things that uh, were cutting edge about it. And so I joined this biotech company in Boston called Ginkgo Bioworks. Um, and I worked there for several years and they have this culture literally around Jurassic Park. They're like fascinated by it. And they started this project that was meant to kind of mimic the Jurassic Park thing, but in a way that was, um, you know, inspiring and evocative. And so they decided to do it with flowers. Um, so the critical work that they had done is that they went to the Harvard Herbarium uh, and asked if they had any preserved specimens, right? So like dried flowers, like you're probably familiar with people like press flowers and in between books and stuff like that. So herbariums have a vast collection of specimens and the one at Harvard is um, remarkable. Uh, and they asked if any of their specimens are for flowers that are currently presumed to be extinct. And so they did have several specimens. Um, Ginkgo requested to basically take snippets of those specimens uh, and bring it back to their lab uh, where they could run it through their DNA sequencers. So I won't like give a whole science lesson here, but if anyone is like familiar with 23andMe uh, or like Ancestry.com, you know, you like spit in a tube and then you send it to this company and then they tell you a bunch of interesting information about yourself. That's literally what was happening here, except that instead of spitting into a tube, what you're doing is you're like taking a snippet of, uh, of these samples. So it was through the DNA sequencing that they did similar to the other companies that you could start to like get interesting information that was related to the scent molecules, right? You can then search to see like, okay, well in the genome, instead of looking for like brown eyes or blue eyes or whatever, what they were looking for was stuff like scent molecules. Um, and that was really kind of like the beginning of, of that. Well, I guess my question to that would be, I mean, I know one of the common practices in perfumery today is uh, to extract the molecular cells that make up the smells of something would be like gas chromatography or headspace technology. Is this a similar process or is it different? It's different because we're working with biology. Like never before had DNA sequencing really been used to kind of intuit maybe what the flower had smelled like. So it's really different. Um, 
Uh, gas chromatography actually was used later in the process to create higher confidence around what those molecules are. So I'll draw another analogy here. Um, you know, everyone has like a genome. We have a bunch of genes, but we don't express all of those genes. So for example, your father might have blue eyes, your mother might have brown eyes. Um, That's exactly my family. Do you know my parents? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can't have both blue and brown eyes, right? So you have two copies of these genes, but you're not expressing, in your case, it doesn't look like your eyes are blue. So you carry the gene for blue eyes, but you're not expressing it. So for these flowers, it was the same thing. They carry all of these genes for different types of scent molecules, but they don't necessarily express it. So gas chromatography was used actually to like figure out which ones those flowers express. So they took some of the genes from the DNA sequencing, they stuck it in microbes, uh, which uh, we talked about earlier, and they put it in microbes, and then they measured um, what smelly compounds those microbes were producing. And then that was like, okay, well, if the microbes are actually like turning on these particular genes, then we can whittle down like, you know, these 100 scent molecules to probably, you know, these 10 or 14 or these three or whatever. So, Gas chromatography was used, but like in a very different Later um, in the process. way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Ginkgo Bioworks went to the Harvard Herbarium, collected these six different species of presumably extinct flowers. They used DNA sequencing to break down what, to estimate what it smelled like. That's where we are in the story. Then what? Okay, so uh, Ginkgo had done this work. I joined the team. I thought that this was really interesting. And I, of course, was viewing this from the perspective of the beauty industry. Um, I was familiar with fragrance, saw how closely tied it was to storytelling and how it makes us feel. And I was pretty curious around, well, this is like a new story that can be told that wasn't previously possible. It's like literally time travel. And um, with any creative field, so perfumers in particular are highly creative people, um, giving them different sources of inspiration can be just like a very interesting thing to do. So I was very curious about what a world-class perfumer might do with biological data, right? Like how would they reinterpret the smell of these flowers? And so that was really where, um, where we came in and the work that we were doing at Future Society was like, okay, let's see if we can create a creative brief around this biological data with these chemical compounds and the DNA sequencing. And let's see how a perfumer would perceive the smell of these flowers to, to be. Um, and so that's where the second phase of work started taking place, which was the actual like reconstruction of what this flower would be like as a fine fragrance. Um, and we worked with three different perfumers, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but then it was really it was really on them to uh, construct these smells. With the data that you had extracted before you went to the perfumers, mm -hmm. were you able to have a sense of what it might smell like, or was that something that you were really leaning on that that perfume element to create? Uh, you have some sense of what the flower smells like because you have the specific aroma chemicals that were encoded in the genomes. So I would say the most that we knew was like the olfactive direction of the flowers. But the one thing I emphasize here is that the precision around this is not really 
possible, right? Because the flowers don't exist. We don't really have a control group. We can't actually like smell anything. So we knew like the direction of the smell, but that was really where the artistry of perfumery really needed to like carry this the rest of the way to like create okay, this is what we think the flower smelled like using their knowledge of aroma chemicals and botany, but also, you know, the the poetry of the interpretation um, based on the flower story and all of that. Hello, it's me. Guess what? As I am recording this, only eight tickets remain to this month's Smell Club. Now, the theme for November was originally, as several of you know, going to be mac and cheese scents, which, of course, if you're not familiar, is just my term for scents that bring me unbridled comfort and joy. And then, as I was curating this list, I realized that so many of my mac and cheese scents were, inevitably, dessert gourmands. So I just doubled down, and I'm giving you the sweet tooth November of your dreams, unapologetic dessert gourmands. And when it comes to that category, these are five of my favorites. I will put the ticket link in the notes of this episode. As always, sample packs are sold separately. And once you purchase your ticket, the event page has a link to purchase your pack. If you've never done Smell Club before, what are you waiting for? So speaking of this poetry and the flower story, what were the briefs that you created for the perfumers? Mm. So the briefs included the biological data. Um, and so that was the DNA sequencing piece. And those were the like um, scent molecules that we had found in that. What we also included were the stories of the flowers. So where the flowers came from, their presumed source of extinction, what was growing around them, um, anything else that was sort of like interesting to know about them. Um, and then the other piece that was important was the story of reinvention. So what was very important to us was that, you know, these these flowers shouldn't just be in, um, you know, an herbarium that's like not accessible to the public. We wanted the stories of these flowers to live on um, and we wanted them to live on in kind of a different way. And so with the whole like brand that we were building, it was we can invent our tomorrow. And so we wanted these fragrances to also be a reminder for everyone's self-capacity around reinvention. So that was to say like needed to have a strong emotional tie for people. And those, I think, were like the primary pillars of, uh, of these briefs. Okay, so let's get into like two, for example. Let's go get into the two that I received. I have Floating Forest and Haunted Rose. And I believe Perfect. those were both by Jerome Epinette. That's correct. Yep. Okay, so perhaps you can share what the original flower was that inspired both of those, what the brief more specifically was like, and um, if in all of these, you know, in, in all your work with Jerome, if you were able to determine that it turns out that this extinct flower actually incidentally smells a lot like this still existing flower that people might be familiar with or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So um, we worked with three different perfumers. Jerome was one of them. Um, he was very inspired by, I would say like time travel and specifically the recreation of the environment. So let's talk about floating forest, um, as, as a perfect example of this. So floating forest is, uh, based off of a flower that once grew in Borneo. Um, the Latin name for the flower is the Shirea cuspidata. And this was a flower that grew on a tall flowering tree And the reason that it went extinct is because they started cutting these trees down to make way for palm forests. Um, So the palm sort of sustainability challenge is is very, uh, very real, particularly in that part of the world. 
What Jerome was trying to recreate was what it would have been like to walk through that forest at the time that those trees were flowering. So he was really looking to recreate the humid environment. So you'll have like a lot of watery notes. It's also like very green uh, as a fragrance. Um, So that's kind of what, what comes through. So it's like not purely floral, right? Even though it is like based off of an extinct flower. But yeah, he took that creative brief, saw the chemical compounds, took like what he understood about botany and it's like relation to other flowers that it was like closely related to aroma chemicals that he knew about that were again, closely related. And then his inspiration was like, how do I make people feel like they are walking through this forest at this time where this flower still, still existed, Um, which I thought was pretty interesting. That is really interesting. And I'm curious, like, were you able to reconstitute that specific species in any way for the flower or it was more like, this is the sense of what we think it would have smelled like. This is sort of what we think would have surrounded it and more like an abstract recreation of it. Yeah, so it is an abstract recreation. I think the artistry of this just really needs to be underscored rather than like the technical precision because the science isn't there yet. Um, And that doesn't mean that like we shouldn't do things until they're fully accurate. I think this was something that we felt was really important to do because a like it's kind of incredible that we can like still intuit like the direction of of how this this smelled and perfumers to have like this new like creative medium to work with there's there's so much good here on the path to potentially being able to preserve biodiversity at a much like larger um larger scale um and what i also love about this is like science and art don't always coexist in a friendly way. And I think that there's a lot of value lost to humanity because of that. Um, And at a time where everyone's talking about AI and how like, you know, no jobs are going to exist in the future. I just really struggle to believe that because human creativity is responsible for so much invention and ingenuity and like propulsion into great things in the future. And so I think that this really captures like both of those worlds working together in, in harmony in some way. Yeah. I mean, and so speaking of, like, how did you get acquainted with Jerome? How did you know that he would be the right person to deliver on this vision that you had? Oh, my gosh. Pure luck. Um, and it was actually uh, through fantastic people on my team. So um, I'll I'll start off with um, Ashley Souza, who works on our team. Um, and she's really been, like, leading the way in the build out of everything that you see and associate with Future Society. She's been really remarkable. She's worked with Jerome multiple times. Uh, And then we also have a fantastic cohort of advisors and investors that um, really helped us get lucky here. Uh, So one of our investors um, is a very large uh, fragrance house. Um, Through them, we've met a great cohort of people who are very influential in the fragrance world, who really believed in this, who were very excited to put this in front of some of the world's best perfumers. And... um, You know, Jerome doesn't typically work with brands that don't exist yet, um, but we were really fortunate um, to get in front of him and he was really excited about what we were doing. So that was um, that was how it came to be. So how did you get connected to Jividon and how would I know that this is also part of your bigger brand, Arkea? That's right. Mm -hmm. So what is Arkea going a few steps back and how would your brand Arkea work with a company like Jividon? Sure. So uh, Arkea 
um, uh, you can think of as like the um, like parent company of a future society. Uh, Arkea is a biology first beauty company. We are building new ingredients and technologies uh, to be used by brands like Future Society and many others uh, to help transform categories in a way that they are uh, more aligned with um, the values that we want to see. Arkea, you can think of as like the R&D engine um, of, of things. Um, and Future Society is like a, a brand that is like intended to be consumer facing um, and really meant to connect with people and hopefully make biology really, um, really desirable. I would love to learn more about some of the other fragrances. I also have Haunted Rose, which I know yeah. is Jérôme's other creation. Yeah. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about which flower inspired this fragrance. Yeah, so Haunted Rose to me has um, been actually very special from the beginning. Um, I will never forget the first time I smelled it. It just, um, I don't know, it just blew me away. I'd never smelled something like that. I thought it was so interesting. I thought it like smelled very spatial and environmental. Like it smells like a space, right? Like it really, I think Jerome really accomplished what he wanted to, which was like to create the environment. So Haunted Rose is based off of a flower that once grew in South Africa, and it disappeared, uh, as strange as it is to say, uh, due to an alien plant invasion. So like an invasive species came along um, and took over its turf. Um, it is floral, um, but there's this like smokiness to it that I think just makes it really interesting and masculine. Some people talk about it as being a little bit spicy, but I think it's more smoky than anything else. Um, the environment that it grew in was a little bit more like rocky rather than like humid, if that makes sense. And that really comes across in the smell. Um, I think that this is such a fantastic smell for like the fall and winter months. I think it's like a sexy date night or like girls night out type of smell. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. And the flower, by the way, is the Macrostylus velosa um, is the Latin name for the flower. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like this technology basically opens the door for so many bygone scents that don't exist anymore. And I'm curious, as you move forward with future society, would you ever recreate something that's not a flower species? Or what are some of the other sort of extinct smells that might um, intrigue you if you were going to start another collection? Yeah, well, we certainly are talking about expanding um, our work in fragrances, um, especially since these have been so well received. You know, I can't share much about the specifics of what we're doing. Uh, what I will share, though, is that remember, uh, biology slash nature is not just plants. It's actually everywhere around us. And anything that has DNA sequences in it potentially is fertile ground for us to try and reconstruct smells around. So it doesn't only just have to be around extinct flowers. There are other Earth's elements that we can get really creative with. So our team has some really great things um, in store that I think will be equally as um, provocative uh, as this uh, fragrance project has been. And on a personal note, if there was a smell, regardless of whether this was mass market or not, that you could recreate that doesn't exist anymore, what would you recreate? Um, several smells from my childhood. Um, one in particular, um, when I was young, basically starting late elementary school, middle school, mostly, um, uh, my family is from former Yugoslavia, Bosnia. And so we would go back every summer after the war, 
Um, and my grandma's garden is something that I distinctly can remember the smell of. I mean, you could blindfold me and drop me in there tomorrow and I would immediately know where I am. Um, and if I could recreate that, I, uh, I certainly would. Do you remember any of the particular flowers that grew in the garden? She, uh, had a lot of flowers and, um, fruits and vegetables. So depending on the season, um, and she still maintains her garden, which is absolutely incredible because she's in her late eighties. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so typically during the summer, what would start to grow are like the uh, grapevines, um, that would start to grow everywhere. Um, and then she would have a lot of summer fruits that were growing too, but there was a lot of like dirt and earth and soil that you could smell, um, as well, that was um, really like fragrant there, particularly when uh, when it rained. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> One of the phrases that I saw um, a few times on the Future Society website was something that I think maybe, I don't know if you created it, but the term expressive biology. I would love to learn more what that means to you as you're talking about this idea that you that you can really work with anything with any sort of DNA sequence. What is expressive biology and how do you see that playing out for future society and for Archaea? Definitely. So um, this is a term that resonated with us, um, with, with our whole team. It was like the very early days of building Archaea. Um, and the remarkable um, creative that we worked with when we were developing our brand identity and, and values, um, his, his name is Nick Dupay. So first in biology, when microbes make things, it's often called expression, right? This microbe expresses X, Y, Z. And it's a very like scientific technical term. But yet in beauty, that's not how it's perceived, right? It's self-expression, right? It's sort of what we choose and what like emanates from us. And so we loved the mashup of, of this. And so we really liked it because, you know, we are biological beings. And so we view the future of this industry as being built on uh, expressing our own biology of our own choosing, uh, hence expressive biology. And we think that it is much more creative rather than utilitarian. So for example, how can we choose how we may want to smell one day, right? By maybe harnessing the ecosystem that exists on our skin, or how can we work with the protein structure in our hair to help style our hair versus you know, coating our hair with like polymers and having it kind of fall apart uh, eight hours later. Um, so expressive biology is really meant to kind of represent something that works with our own biology so that we can choose how we want to show up and express ourselves. Yeah, I read a little bit about what you were doing with RK with scent arc. I mean, I know it's another yeah. topic, but this idea that instead of like masking up the smell of your natural body odor, it's like working with it essentially. Yeah. It was like a deodorant that you developed, right? Yeah, it was a technology for deodorants um, so that formulators could put this in uh, deodorants instead of things like baking soda um, or other like antimicrobials. And basically what it does is it, this is so weird, but like it feeds the microbes in your armpit to make them act a certain way. And the certain way we wanted them to act was like not produce smelly compounds, right? So um, this is what I mean by biology is like really interesting. Um, you know, we know from the work that we've done that actually there are certain armpit microbes that actually produce fragrant compounds, like pleasantly smelling compounds, which is really interesting. Like how can we harness that in some way? But the industry has been like very narrowly focused on like killing microbes in the armpit and preventing smells and all of right. that. And that's 
the opposite of expressive biology in, in our mind. We see so much potential to kind of like build around our biology to do cool things we haven't been able to do before. This is so fascinating to me. I mean, and I, I'm really thinking about like, as you were studying and skin testing all these fragrances that you developed with Future Society, were there any indicators that you did find of like, well, um, you know, on more youthful skin, this kind of note blooms or any any sort of like larger broad strokes takeaways of like why certain scents might smell better on some skin than others? Remember, our skin ecosystem, you know, separate from like whatever oils and lipids we have on our skin, our skin's own ecosystem has all of these different like microbes and fungi, which I know sounds like crazy to say, but like they're very active. They're doing a lot of stuff on our skin. They're producing different compounds and surely those compounds have an impact on the things that we apply topically, whether it's fragrance or otherwise. So there's absolutely an impact and, and everyone's ecosystem is like a little bit different. Uh, we spent a lot of time in, at the Archaea Lab studying body odor, which is like, you know, the other end of the spectrum associated with personal scent. And yeah, everyone has different microbes in their armpit that are like triggering different types of odorous compounds to be produced. And so it's just a, it's a really fascinating world. Um, and uh, definitely, uh, there's a lot there that could result in why people smell different when they're using different types of fragrances, um, or using the same fragrance, but it shows up differently on different people. My last question before we get to the final segment of the show is what is something in your personal or professional life that's exciting you right now that you are looking forward to? Um, oh, well, I, uh, I'm pregnant right now uh, and I'm due with a baby uh, in just a few weeks. So this will be my first oh, child. Congratulations. Um, and Yay. so that is something in my personal life that I am really excited about. Um, and it has been such an interesting experience um, and one that I've enjoyed far more than I um, I expected. Um, but it's biology at sort of a whole new level. And has that impacted um, your sense of – I mean, I know when people are pregnant, oftentimes oh they have my a God. heightened sense of smell. Or Like, how has that been for you? Oh, my God. Okay. I have a story. So please. basically, these fragrances have been in development for a really long time. I know them so well. Okay. Like you could stick any one of the six of them. I obviously would like know how to identify them. I know them throughout the day. I know how their smell changes from like morning to evening. I just like know them so well. And I'd mentioned that I don't come from the fragrance world. I was like kind of intimidated by it. Like this is my first foray into it. I remember when we first started evaluating some of like the scent compounds and working with these perfumers, I just remember thinking like, oh my God, like my nose is not as good as these people. Like I just, I always felt like I was like not really good at it. Okay. So fast forward to us doing our first like pilot run and we get the product into the office and our supply chain and QA QC team is like going through all of them just to make sure that everything is okay. Um, our product development team is like assessing things like the fragrance houses have assessed things and everything like passes. And I was filming a piece of content that day. And so of course, like we pulled like from the actual pilot batch and so I'm doing this like smell session piece of content and I smelled haunted rose and grassland opera. And I was like, these are wrong. Like these are absolutely wrong. So I immediately like flagged it for the team. And so they, you know, they dip everything, they compare it to the lab samples. They like do their whole thing, like lab samples over time. And they're like, it's, it's all good. I was like, okay, it's all good. So a few days go by and I'm traveling. And again, like, it's just bothering me how different these were. 
I was like, we have a big QAQC issue. Like we can't go into full production. I mean, I basically start freaking out. And the narrative in my mind is like, I don't have that great of a nose. So if I'm picking up on it, like something is really not right about it. And coincidentally, I happened to be meeting with our Givadon perfumer a couple days later. And so I like brought in all this stuff. I like, I was like, okay, if the, if the, if anyone is going to know and like do a great job of convincing me, it's like an actual professional, highly esteemed, like world-class nose. So I'm sitting there across from Olivia Jan, who did Grassland Opera, and we're dipping all these fragrances. And basically, yeah, because I was pregnant, my nose was basically able to pick up on and adjusted to the oxidation of the top notes of one of the specific samples that I had identified. And this blew my mind. And of course, like everyone I work with was like, oh, Jasmina, Jasmina. Like we didn't want to say that it might be because you're pregnant, but man, I couldn't believe it. It was just like really, really, really remarkable. (laughs) There was a difference ultimately, but only you did Olivia detect it as well? Well, Olivia was basically saying that like the, the pilot batch and the production run was like on spec. But I had had one specific lab sample because they were all like really precious. And so every time I would like dip fragrances with someone, I would open this lab um, spec. So it was like a, I don't know, it was like a couple months old, this um, lab sample that I had. So the top notes specifically started oxidizing because I kept like opening this bottle and my nose had adjusted to that oxidation. So Olivia was able to sense that and point it out. Um, And she was like, by the way, like this is oxidized because you like opened it so many times. And, you know, when you get our fragrances, so this is Grassland Opera, um, you know, when you get our fragrances, like this is why it's actually really important to like clamp the, you know, top on so that there's no, um, you know, continued air exposure or leakage or whatever, um, because these things actually matter. But uh, yeah, the other, you know, people that were in the room, they were like, we can't smell any of the difference. But Olivia at least was able to. So I didn't feel it was literally like someone had told me the sky was red. And I was like, no, that's not what grassland opera smells like. That's not what grassland wow. opera smells like. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's that crazy. is amazing. Well, speaking of, since we didn't talk about grassland opera, um, yeah. I would love to hear what that one was inspired by. Oh yes. Okay. So grassland opera is based off of a flower that grew in the North American plains. Um, the Latin name for this flower is the Orbexilum flower. And um, this flower disappeared due to the changing patterns of the buffalo migration. Uh, and so this this perfume in particular is like a great example of our naming convention where we like honor the story of the flower, but sort of like turn it into a story of reinvention. So here you have grassland opera. So opera being the pitter patter of the buffalo migration and grassland being the environment that this flower came from. So this one is like the more musky fragrance, um, but it's a really lovely musk. Um, uh, Olivia was in particular like very technical in her approach to these fragrances. She really wanted to like compound for compound honor the story of like the the flower. Um, and so she was like the most technical in her in her approach. Um, and she was really wonderful to work with. Um, but yeah, it's a musky smell, grassy, um, but it's also um, feminine. So it's not like, um, like a strong musk kind of a thing. It's, um, it's actually like very sophisticated and feminine too. 
a musk inspired by buffalo migration, as as one does, you know? Totally normal, right? <laughs> it's so fascinating. I love what you're doing. I'm really excited for what's to come with Future Society and what is already out. And um, we do have a final segment of the show, and it is a rapid-fire scent association game okay. where I will throw out people, places, concepts, whatever, and you just tell me the first smell that comes to mind. Okay. I'm so nervous. Okay. Are you ready to play What's That Smell? Yes. Okay. I'm like closing my eyes. I'm getting ready to focus. Mmm. <laughs> what's that smell? Jasmina, what is the smell of New York City? Oh, my gosh. I oh, People are going to kill me for this, but I think of like um, – okay, I was born in New York City, so no one can get offended by this, but like – There we go. <laughs> I – Oh my gosh. I don't know. I just think of like hotness and like a little bit of, oh my God, trash. I feel so bad saying this because like I do have fun when I go to New York, but like it's like weird smells there sometimes. Um, I can't say that it's a city that I feel like smells good. I'm so sorry. I was born there. I I love it, uh, but I'm so sorry. Okay. It's funny because it it, like people inevitably always tend to say hot garbage and urine. So (laughs) par for the course. Okay. Contrarily, or maybe not contrarily, what is the smell of Boston? Hmm. What is the smell of Boston? Okay. Well, the first thing that's coming to mind is my um, walk to work. Uh, And it is like fall here. And so I'm just like thinking of like the smell of dried leaves that have been all over the place. Um, So that's the first thing. That's a great smell. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. What is the smell of love? Oh, interesting. The smell of love. Um, okay, first thing that's going through my mind is like a sophisticated like date night out location, right? I'm thinking like a restaurant that like smells really good, but not because of food, but because they're like putting in a smell in the space. Like a good candle situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like what I'm thinking. It's like a, a you've reached that point in your relationship where you're going out on like these kinds of dates. That's like what I'm thinking. That's the smell of love. That's, yeah. Okay. I buy it. I'm into it. Okay, what is the smell of your childhood home? Smell of my childhood home, I think of um, – my mom's cooking. Um, Saturday mornings, there was like one particular dish that she always made. It was very um, bread-like, um, and it's like the Bosnian version of like fried dough. Um, so it's very, um, yeah, like dough, dough-like. Beautiful. And what would you say the smell of your home now is? Uh, smell of our home now, I am really enjoying the candles by Flamingo Estate, um, specifically their Roma tomato Mm. candles. I really love those. Beautiful. Okay. What is the smell of the color red? Um, Juicy, fruity is what I'm thinking of. I think of the color red when I smell solar canopy. Like that's Mm. right. Yeah. So something like very juicy. Hibiscus-y. Yeah. Okay. What is the smell of future society? Ooh, um, what is the smell of future society? I think of woodsy, earthy smells. That's like the direction I go in. Okay. Okay, we have one final question. What is the smell of Jasmina Aganovic? Oh my gosh, this is a great question. I don't 
know how to answer that. How do people answer this? This is really interesting. It's, I like need to ask my It's really husband. an existential question and it stumps a lot of people. It does. It really does. Um, Let's first say, what is the smell of your husband? Maybe that mm, will help you. Oh Maybe my that gosh, will lead okay. you. Yes. I don't know. He smells really sweet is like what I think of. He has like a really sweet but like on the – this is so strange to say, but like on the – more like a a nutty kind of sweet, right? Like, um, uh, I don't know how this sounds so silly, but like, that's a little bit more of the direction of like how I think he smells. So it's like a nuttier sweetness. That's beautiful. I I think that's, I completely get what you're saying. Okay. So now leading into the final question. I, I have a feeling that, um, maybe he thinks I, I, if I were to ask my husband this question, I probably have like a a spicier, like musky smell. I have no idea. Maybe I'm being too literal about it. And you say that it's like existential, but I don't know. This is a really hard question. Do people also answer it with like smells of a feeling? Everything. Aww. Yes. People say happiness. People say purple. People say lavender. People say spicy. Like everything counts. I take it all. There's no right or wrong answers. Um, I accept all answers. You know, I I think. For me, it's been, I would probably say something along like the lines of possibility or perseverance um, or even discovery. Like I think all of those of just mm. like forward okay. momentum and like continuing to evolve and try. So something that's dynamic. Yeah, future. Mm-hmm. There we go. Future oriented. Okay. Well, Jasmina, it has been an absolute delight chatting with you and learning more about future society. For people listening who want to get their noses on your fragrances, how and where can they do this? Uh, well, first, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed this discussion and your very thought-provoking questions. And yeah, if, if people are interested in the fragrances, I, I hope that they are. Uh, please go to wearefuturesociety.com. Um, and then you can also find us on um, social media. Um, we are, uh, it's just Future Society as the handle on Instagram. Uh, and we have a great scent selection kit. Um, so if you want to like try all six of the flowers, um, you'll see that we have that discovery kit on our website too. Um, so it's a great way to kind of experience all of what we've been talking about here on this call. Amazing. Beautiful. Jasmina, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. This podcast was edited by Joe Leonardo. Music is by Max Vernon and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez.